Take a look behind the curtain with a real whistleblower and American patriot. Prepare to embrace the uncomfortable truth because this program has no time for comforting lies. Here is civil liberties enthusiast, Second Amendment defender, and recovering FBI agent, Kyle Serafin. Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Kyle Serafin Show. I better hit that record button over here. I've got uh, another edition of Friendly Friday. We're bringing on my buddy, the real Steve Friend. Steve Friend, you want to pop on there? I think uh, Ryan is back there producing, so we'll bring him on the screen. Folks, it is July the 7th. We are the first week down in July, and uh, man, you look sorrowful. What's going on over there, Steve? You good? <laughs> yeah, man. I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit mel- melancholy after, uh, I, I think I need a pick-me-up. I need some some motivational speech from, uh, from maybe our, some our dear leaders. Yeah, I think we're going to do that. Uh, thanks so much. There's something about Steve. It's in his brain. He just cues things up. We had a whole show kind of lined up. I had some uh, some links and some articles and things we we're going to talk about. And then he just uh, kicked it right off the bat. And he said, are we ever going to get this minute back of our lives? Which, of course, makes me click on something and I have to deal with that. Um, we're going to do a little bit of motivation right now. Folks, I want to set the tone for a Friday. Sometimes it's important to reach out to the stratosphere of Washington, D.C. and get the thought leaders of our nation to just really dial us in. And uh, before we do that, let me just say thanks to all the folks that are in the chat. I see some new faces in there. Joe 1911, uh, I assume that's the pistol 1911, so I'm into that. We saw Gypsy Princess who said we're going to be walking around in her pocket while she's walking her dogs. Sounds like something my mother does. Um, But let's let's get a little little motivational thought. Let's set the tone for today's show. And uh, Ryan, if you want to cue that video up, I think we're all going to be better off for it. Well, I think culture is, it, it is a reflection of our moment and our time, right? And, and, and present culture is the way we express how we're feeling about the moment. And, and we should always find times to express how we feel about the moment that is a reflection of joy, because, you know, it comes in the morning. <laughs> we have to find ways to also express the way we feel about the moment in terms of just having language and, and, and a connection to how people are experiencing life. And I think about it in that way, too. <laughs> I'm sorry. Steve, um, what is your reflection on the moment that comes in the morning? I feel so bad for Dan Quayle that every time that our vice president speaks, all I can think of is how that man's entire political career was flushed on a toilet because he misspelled the word potato. How old and, were you uh, when, when Dan Quayle was the vice president? Uh, so that was 90, 1990, right? When he did that. So, so I was like three or four years old. <laughs> yeah. I would have been like in the age of the class where the kids were spelling potato. Right. And, <laughs> and then we, and he's always gone down as sort of like this dim bulb, but I think Dan Quayle was fine. And then we have Cackles here who just sets the record for the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. They're fluidly, they're fluidly retarded. <laughs> you know, you have a great metaphor of the, uh, the Magneto uh, bridge uh, when you're responding to a lot of these questions that media gives you, where you're kind of like flying by the seat of your pants mm-hmm. and maybe you could, you can go into that. But uh, I would compare her experience is like the, uh, the coyote and coyote coyote and the Looney Tunes where he runs <laughs> off the cliff and there's no bridge there at all. and just falls down. It's she's in the air for one second where she's yeah. thinking about, is something going to happen? Is the bridge going to materialize? And it doesn't. <laughs> I was thinking if she, okay, so my Magneto analogy, for those of you who don't know, I get asked these questions all the time. I have no idea what I'm going to say. And I'm like, oh my God, what, 
what, what are they asking? What, what is even going to come up here? And then uh, this sort of bridge of pieces sort of come together as I'm saying it in real time. So I just step with faith. I walk off into the abyss and I end up where I need to be. Sometimes I think that's just the Holy Spirit that moves me. I have that sort of special moment in time. Um, Kamala Harris's uh, Magneto bridge would actually be a bridge in a circle. And it touches the same word over and over again. In this case, emotion, reflection, just nonsense. You can't see my hands. If you're not watching our Rumble channel, I'm just drawing this little circle. It's not a big circle, by the way. It's about a four-inch circle. <laughs> and she just sort of pivots on it in this little thing. <laughs> there's uh, there's Ryan. Ryan, what do you got to say about this? Did you Do you feel enriched by our leaders? Is that something that is uh, added to your, your life? It's a great time to be alive, Kyle. It's a great time to be alive, man. How many times? I want to give you, you that five-minute warning. Yeah. How how many uh, times have you seen that video? Uh, three too many. <laughs> three times too many. Right. Which is three times, I assume. All right. Yeah, see, be before, absolutely. Before we get into the topics of the day, I want to jump in and I want to say thanks to my sponsors real quick. So um, we'll pull them up. This is uh, CatholicVote.org. They are sponsoring our show. We're very grateful for them. If you want to visit their website at CatholicVote.org, you can sign up for the Loop. I actually read the loop every morning now, and I actually learn things that I didn't know. What I found in the loop this morning was apparently Bill Clinton and Alex Soros, the son of uh, George Soros, made a visit to the Vatican, and they got to meet with Pope Francis. So that's good to know. And uh, all kinds of little interesting stories in there. They do stories about uh, you know people that are pushing abortion bans, which I think are happening in, um, man, I forgot the state already, and I should go back and reread. <laughs> there's a couple of things coming out of their own news service, and there's some things that are coming out of other wire services. So check them out by all means, catholicvote.org. Sign up for The Loop. Get in The Loop. Um, and I've got to uh, loop myself back in, obviously, here, because I failed myself. And uh, while we're doing that, let's go ahead and start rocking down what's been happening. We are in a loop of interesting media cycles. We are hearing about now round three of the story. What is happening with the White House, the uh, the Coke and Hose mixer that we did not get invited to? Can you kind of give people, you remember what all three versions of the story look like? It's too many to keep track of. I just, I, every time I hear the story, it's it reminds me of the game Clue. Because now, now the cocaine was found in the library with the candlestick near where Kamala Harris apparently parks her car because apparently the vice president just rolls up there yeah, in her just, own vehicle just, now. <laughs> she, she's just like, she drives in in like a Datsun or something, or she's got like a Honda Accord and she just self parks. Yeah. They have yeah, valet, I mean, but she's not going to valet anymore. She's done. She They scratched her car one too many times, so she's into self park mode. So I, I think the initial story was that they found it and it was like along a tour route, which was the most believable lie if you're going to tell a lie well there's all these people and i mean i think that they're just not very good at lying and, and the whole thing uh, i think bongino's talked about this before where a lie is almost like a, a garden where you have to like constantly tend to it whereas the truth it just will grow and you know and, and on its own it's like just like a stone i mean it's not there's nothing you have to worry about with it where you have to upkeep on it and they're not very proficient at lying and they just come across as being desperate to to spin it in any way and and they can't ever just let it sit because even with the media that you would think at this point is just sort of uh voicing whatever they want them to say it, it, nothing is holding up to reason whatsoever and then they keep changing the story so drastically that eventually somebody's gonna have to say like hey, guys quit lying and, and just tell us what the facts are and, and we can move on to the next story because obviously there's gonna be no consequences it's almost like we're seeing a reflection of the culture in a moment that comes in the morning. What do you think? <laughs> well, it's it's all about that time, and and it's you know the, the the significance of time is very significant, and 
wherever Google takes me on my auto fill. Yes, nothing go. nothing is more significant than the passage of time. Uh, Ryan, if you pull up article number one, I'm going to do a quick read of this. We're going to recap now the third story that's coming out of the White House. This is coming from Becker News. Uh, if you guys are watching on our Rumble channel, you can see that. Just tells us that the White House has now peddled a third version of the cocaine story, this time implicating that it was near the, the Situation Room, uh, which is also located near Vice President Kamala Harris's car, which Steve just alluded to. I'm going to read kind of a, a quick little piece here. Uh, according to the report, the cocaine was just discovered one floor below the Oval Office in proximity to the Situation Room. NBC reporter Andrea Mitchell pointed out that uh, access to that area is much more limited than the second story, which was that it was in a cubby hole near where the tour routes are. And the first story was that it came out of a, a library with Hunter Biden near the laptop. So we've got that uh, sort of now the third version of it. And I'm going to just read you something. I want your reflection on it here, Steve, if you don't mind. It says um, that they've actually cited a potential violation of the Hatch Act as a defense, purportedly meaning that speaking about it further could have implications in the upcoming election. I think that's number one. And, and then here's the last one. A report claimed one official familiar with the investigation cautioned that the source of the drugs was unlikely to be determined, given that it was discovered in a highly trafficked area of the West Wing so we are now counting the number of things that cannot be determined ever. Can you kind of give me the running list over the in the Biden administration? Things that we'll never know because they cannot be determined. Cocaine. Being uh, one. Yeah, cocaine's one. Whoever attacks uh, crisis pregnancy centers because that happens at nighttime. It's dark. So we'll, we'll never know that. It's really all. hard. Yeah, that's really hard. Uh, pipe bomber on January 6th. Okay. He's just floating around there. Could be anybody. Uh, Motivations for the Nashville shooter manifesto. No, no ideas. No, I, I'm, I'm starting to ongoing lose investigation sources and methods. Yeah, and and, and we're going to lean it with Hatch Act. Is that like the uh, the Christopher Ray uh, ongoing investigation can't comment? I'm just going to pull something out of my butt and they, say Hatch they Act. definitely came up with a fun one on that one because I had not heard a Hatch Act. And then obviously the last one is uh, who leaked the Dobb decisions. That's obviously impossible to yeah. determine from a very limited pool of people. We could never find that thing out. No, no. And and the uh, the Hatch Act, I, I was, that guy needs to be worried about a Baker Act because that was just flat out crazy to say that. I mean, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. The Baker Act but, is the red flag law down in Florida. Yeah, that's I mean, we're the involuntary committal to a mental institution because you have a psychological problem. There is a problem there. You remember, uh, did you watch Harry Potter? Were you, were you that kind of guy? Uh, I mean, I, yeah, I, I've, I've read the books. Yeah. Okay. Do you remember the Department of Mysteries? Yeah. I think the Biden administration needs a Department of Mysteries. They now have four <laughs> mysteries that will never be solved, uh, some of which have multiple likely subjects. Probably also some of the, uh, you know, who's going to charge people in the Antifa case? What's going to happen? Do you think that this is just everything is stupid because we live in idiocracy times? Or is this potentially... This is very salacious. This is going to get a lot of attention so we can uh, distract from things that are going to be impactful, like, I don't know, the uh, release of the Afghanistan withdrawal report where there was no accountability, which they did on a Friday news dump going into July 4th weekend, or you know, maybe something with this latest witness who has gone into hiding because he has information, not just about the Bidens, but about everybody that was bellying up to the trough on the uh, the China grift. You're talking about but, uh, you're talking about Gal Loft, who's now um, running for his life apparently, and was you know arrested and then skipped bail in Greece. This guy. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's it requires a second level or third level of thinking, but everybody can just look cocaine. 
And it's like a ferret on meth. We could just get distracted that easily. I like the ferret on meth. I used to have a ferret. His name was Bandit. My mother killed him by leaving him outside. <laughs> Left him outside when I used to live in Texas. And he just, uh, he burrowed under his blankets to try to avoid the heat. And he ended up just scorched. They are a, uh, a narrow range of temperatures they can live in. But ferret on cocaine, a ferret not on cocaine is a frantic animal. So on cocaine, that sounds, it sounds like someone who's put like an electric, you know, toothbrush up the butt of a cat or something like something really really horrific that's just moving insanely as long as we're getting into the pet territory nobody has uh thrown the cocaine at commander the german shepherd that the biden family owns how do you and know that? that dog was going full cocaine bear when they first moved in the white house and was biting all these secret service members i think that's your most likely suspect that's a hunter hot he he likes he likes the cheap stuff man he's into the crack like powder not so much you think the I, dog I'm, is into powder the, and you think I'm Hunter thinking, is into rock. Yes. Hunter is hard and and that soft is going straight to the shepherd. Interesting. That's a high dollar <laughs> that's a high dollar dog. I mean, that makes sense. It's just kind of a primo animal, primo taste. Interesting stuff. Okay, so if that's the case, let's uh, let's try to rein this thing back into where we where we started off. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about this guy named uh, Taylor Toronto. Right. And the the spelling of it, for those of you who are looking out there, if you want to go look this thing up on your own, it's T-R-A-N-T-O. And Ryan's going to put the thing up on real quick. I'm going to read a couple of choice parts out of his detention. This is a motion that comes out of the District of D.C. So here's what we got. We've got a, um, a, a court document here filed in the District of D.C. That's the federal court. And it's the United States versus Taylor uh, versus Taylor Toronto. He's apparently this really troubled guy that was living in Washington State. He's a Navy veteran. He was living in his van down by the literally living in his van down by the river. He was down by Rock Creek, which is a kind of a famous green area that runs through D.C. And he's been charged and and requested to be basically locked up indefinitely under 18 U.S.C. 3142, which is the serious risk of flight. This is what the government has basically alleged. Uh, what's really interesting in here is the quote unquote factual history of this guy who was live streaming on YouTube on June 28th, 2023. He has a, a 20, a 2020, sorry, a, a 2000 black uh, Chevrolet Express 1500 van. So he's got this like crappy old van and he was in Gaithersburg and he's got this like fascination with the uh, Institute, the National Institute of Standards and Technology. I have no idea. This person has all the hallmarks of what we'd call like an emotionally disturbed person, right, Steve? Yeah, yeah, 100%. It's just one of those frequent flyers that are always calling the FBI office to report the laser beams in their head. The laser beams in their head. Yeah. Or the implant in their nose, which I think I've mentioned to Dan Bongino before. Uh, there's always something. It's someone's monitoring my thoughts. I get some of these on, on Twitter sometimes. They'd be like, they've got the wetware in my head. Don't act like you don't know about the Bluetooth Neuralink, Kyle. And it's like, dude, uh, you know, I wasn't read into that program, I guess. Uh, unfortunately, this guy, and I'm going to just kind of keep reading a little bit out of here while you're while you're kind of reflecting on it. But some of the stuff that they that they mention in there are are completely new stories, new pieces of information to me. Apparently, we have some no-go zones that are restricted by the federal government when we talk about areas in DC. Have you ever heard about that anywhere in America before? No, not not before I was told that the the lawn on the outside of the Capitol on January 6, 2021 is also now going to be considered restricted area. I, and I was trying to reflect if there was maybe anything that's justifiable and the only thing I could think of would be like Mar-a-Lago. So we're like a, a former president's residing. So there's some sort of secret service 
presence there, which might restrict the public access. But that's no different than just private property, no trespassing, just with a lot more resources to go to preventing a trespass. So supposedly the neighborhood that he's walking around in is Obama's neighborhood. That's what they said. And that, and that was the claim that he was basically looking for the Obamas. He's looking for the Podestas. And yet anybody that goes looking for the Obamas and the Podestas in Washington, D.C. with a cane um, and a couple of guns in a van that are not on his person and, you know, a couple hundred rounds of ammunition. How, you know, you, you've done threat analysis. You've done sort of interstate threat cases. I'm sure you get them coming in from all over the place. Like, how does that how does that matrix uh, bother you? I, I mean, it. I, he, I think he had enough of a chance to get to Obama as the people did of overthrowing the government government on January 6th with bear spray and a Viking hat, especially when you see the video, apparently, and, and having read this document where he was looking into sewer grates and saying, these are my access points yes. to get to Obama's house. Yeah, 100 percent. You know, I, that's why I like you on here, because you have these sort of uh, interesting uh, leaps and, and analogies that, that don't necessarily hit my brain at the same way. One of the things that I did notice is that they spent all this uh, this detention document talking about history. They talked about how, you know, he was at January 6th. So obviously he's a very, very bad person. He's one of those. What are they, What was it? Ralph and the very, very bad. No good day. Something like that. I know it was long. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That goes uh, back. Alexander. Oh, Alexander. Alexander and the and terrible, horrible. No good. Very bad day. Very good. OK, I got to get a copy of that for my kids now because that's one of my favorites. Um <laughs> They talk about he's this very, very bad man, this terrible, no good, very bad man, because he had a social media account where he's streaming his weird thoughts, First Amendment, and then he's saying First Amendment, and they make fun of him for it. And they're like, oh, how you know, how dare he say First Amendment like it somehow protects him from speaking and saying crazy things. It's like, I'm pretty sure it actually does. I think that's what the First Amendment says. Yeah, I mean, look, like, look, I'm not disputing this guy's an EDP, he's an emotionally disturbed guy who who needs help, and, and we should, as a society, try to provide that for him. Yep. But reading this document, all I could think of the whole time was like, so what you're telling me is everything he's doing is perfectly legal. That's what he it needs said. help, I'm... but just while it's streaming on YouTube and saying things like, "I have a First Amendment right," is is oh, this now the government's going to snicker and say, "Oh, you and your cute little First Amendment." We have to control you, sir. And and we're going to lean on and wrap ourselves in the American flag and say that, uh, you know, that there was an insurrection that day. And at the time he was walking into the Capitol, uh, somebody was shot. It had nothing to do with him. Well, I mean, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China, bro? Right. That's completely unrelated. Right. So they actually quoted in the document, and I'll kind of paraphrase it for you folks. What they said is, while he was physically in a building, somebody who wasn't him did something that he wasn't involved in, and he wasn't physically next to that person, and he had no responsibility for it. But that was a very bad thing. So you can imagine how bad this guy is. There's another thing I'm going to read directly out of this detainment uh, document, because I think it's it's relevant here. When I'll get your hot take on this one, too. It says June 2023, quote unquote, Freedom Corner. I like that they put it in scare quotes. Freedom Corner is uh, a part right outside of the D.C. jail where people regularly gather to do protests uh, on behalf of the January Sixers. And it says since coming to Washington, D.C., Toronto has been a regular fixture at, quote unquote, Freedom Corner. According to those who routinely gather there, Toronto has been banned. They didn't put the word banned in quotes, by the way, from the area due to his offensive conduct towards the other protesters. It's also been reported that he was displaying erratic and incoherent behavior. Um, have you ever heard of people being able to just ban somebody from a public space where other public people are, are walking around? Is that a thing? Um, no, not if there's an actual effective First Amendment. You don't have a right to not be offended. Right. I mean, if, if, if he's making actual assaults and threats of violence, that's one thing. But if he's just out there saying things that make you 
hurt you and give you the the bad feels, then that's that's a you problem. It turns and, out. And 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 reading the, a lot of the statements he's 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 making, a lot of them are funny. That he's just being tongue in cheek and. Obviously, the lawyers who draft this document are either willfully ignorant and they're trying to pull his things out, his statements out of context to make him look bad and, and not express the tone where he was maybe being joking, or they're just incapable of understanding sarcasm, which is equally likely. He says stuff like, look, mom, I'm an insurrectionist on TV. Right. That's 100% something that I would say, because it's very sarcastic and tongue in cheek and clearly not something where it's a confession to a, a felony. But it's still quoted in this document and the FBI is taking it because they have either no sense of humor or they have uh, no sense of how human beings are. They're being disingenuous. Um, one of the things that we mentioned, you said EDP, an emotionally disturbed person. Most likely this guy has some some issues. Um, we we know that the FBI loves to target people that have those kind of mental issues. Uh, Ryan, if we can pull up uh, the article number three, I want to kind of run that through for historical context just to see what we think about it. Uh, it's something that came up in a uh, organic chat that I was having with Garrett O'Boyle. So if we'll pull up that. It's a, it's a piece from NBC News. Uh, I should put news in quotes right there. Uh, this is written by a guy named Michael Costner. This is actually going back to March of 2020, and we're going to put some interesting perspective into it. It says, uh, uh, the FBI says man killed in Missouri wanted to bomb a hospital amid the coronavirus epidemic. Apparently in uh, March of 2020, it was an epidemic. This was pre-pandemic. They didn't know. A man named Timothy Wilson was the subject of a terrorism investigation, and the agents tried to arrest him. When he uh, arrived to pick up what he thought was a bomb... And they they got into a shootout. He was killed by members of the Joint Terrorism Task Force as they tried to arrest him. And the FBI says Wilson was the subject of, quote, a months long domestic terrorism investigation and quote. And then it says it's not clear whether Wilson was wounded by the FBI agents or whether he died by suicide. Uh, they said he was armed. And then uh, after being shot, he was taken to a hospital where he was pronounced dead. I'm guessing that he was actually killed by agents, but we won't ever really hear anything about that. Let's um let's talk about this guy who was mentally ill and decided to get into a shootout with the Bureau over a bomb that he was picking up. We don't have all the information there, but you and I have been in a part of enough of these cases to talk about what was he picking up and who was he picking up from? And what do you think was involved on the FBI end? Um, I think that he probably had online conversations with somebody who uh, shared all of his bad ideas mm -hmm. and happened to know somebody else who could get him all the equipment he needed to carry out this uh, attack that they both really, really wanted to do for the perfect price that met with his financial parameters. So if he had $2,000 in the bank, I can get you a nuclear device for $1,850. I'm gonna call this the Seraphin rule. I know uh, Dan Bongino has his own rule. <laughs> this is the Seraphin rule on how to avoid dealing with the feds online. And it's very simple, you just paraphrased it, but uh, this is the way I always say it. If you ever meet anybody online, and they agree with all of your worst ideas, especially the violent ones. They're willing to help you carry them out, and they can do so at exactly the amount of money that you happen to have in your bank account. That's a Fed. Don't hang out with that person. The last giveaway tip is they'll probably only meet you during the weekday, and it'd be nice if it was before 5 p.m. local time. That's always a help. But uh, you know, on, on special circumstances, they will meet you outside of that, just not on Sunday. So those, those people are not your friends. Those are feds, and uh, as you well phrased. So we think that, what do you think, undercover or uh, uh, CHS? What, what's involved in this one, or both? Uh, I think CHS probably bumped him and then was going to introduce him to an undercover who was the bomb tech. And that's usually the way this works. So people don't, you know, we're not giving away any special secrets here. This happens in, over and over and over again in affidavits that are sworn out to get these guys to, to plead to terrorism charges. It looks like this. Um, 
I met you online. I want to hang out with you. You should really meet my buddy Steve. Steve knows a bunch about bombs. He was in the army. He's a deadly killer. He's got bomb skills, and he has bomb skills at the price that you could afford. He'd be willing to get in for the cause, but only if you throw a little bit of money our way. Why do they do the money? Do you know? I mean, because it's it shows pre-thought and uh, it it the material support angle to it, and yeah. they also can uh, justify getting all their subpoenas for people's bank records and hit the stats on those as well. It, it is indeed. So kind of gross. This is just a historical piece. And uh, we had some reporters ask us a little bit about the story. And they said, well, how do you guys know that there was a source involved? And um, we may or may not know somebody who worked out of that division who may or may not have been on that JTTF, who may or may not have been able to confirm that all the things that we just told you are, in fact, accurate. Would you would you co-sign on that? Yes, I would. Uh, avow. That, avow. Uh, that, yes. Fantastic. <laughs> Folks, it's a, it's a weird world. The FBI is not our friends. As you know, uh, Steve Friend and I know this in a big way. We uh, got to, I actually had uh, Garrett O'Boyle on my show Roll Call last night, which I do on Badlands, and we just kind of kind of riffed about it, and it opened up one of those wounds. We're going to get into the COVID memory hole at the end of this. Um, the next thing up I want to talk about is kind of the demonization of real patriots in this country. Uh, but before we do that, let's talk about patriot coolers real quick. Ryan, I'm going to pull this guy up. So, uh, if we can pull up the full screen there, folks, Patriot Coolers, you know, are one of our sponsors. They do a fantastic job. They have sent us some great stuff. I'm actually sitting next to my my OD Green Patriot Tumbler right here. Actually, you want to show that sucker? There we go. And uh, my wife fills it up with smoothie with me before I, before I go on this thing so that I don't end up grouchy at the end of the show, which is always smart. Uh, Patriot Coolers, you can use promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, that gives you 10% off if you spend more than 50 bucks, which, you know, buy a tumbler for you, buy one for a friend. Uh, you'll get free shipping over $50. So again, promo code Kyle, K-Y-L-E, 10% off. And uh, check them out. They're a great company. If you're looking for something small, you can pick up a couple of their tumblers, their steel. Uh, I drop mine all the time. They hold up. They have actually been able to save most of my fluids when I drop them on the way out of the out of the van because I've got little kids in my hands as well. And uh, I use them when I'm working out. I actually tweeted out a picture of me working out with mine the other day. Have to fill it up because it is hot here in Texas. And then, of course, they've got the uh, the soft-sided stuff, which you can use on a float. You can uh, lash them down onto a kayak or something like that or a Jeep or a four-wheeler. And then they've also got those hard things, which will compete head-to-head with a Yeti. Same kind of stuff. Good times. Um, i got to send Ryan one of these things. Ryan needs a Patriot Tumblr as well, I think. What do you think, Ryan? Oh, definitely, man. We were in the live chat yesterday. I was saying I'm going to put in my two weeks if I don't get one in a couple of weeks here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to let everybody else in. I wanted to let everybody else in the live chat know how much we appreciate them and thank you guys all for going out of your way to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. We got a surprise for you coming up at the end of this show. There it is. There it is. I want a green one too, just like that. You want a green one? I want. And, the, uh, I want to get you the, the show, black one with the American flag on it, like yeah. uh, producer Phil had. That yeah, that'd be ball. sick. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll take that. I'll take that. All right, I'll take two. <laughs> we'll send you two. Uh, but we have a we have a good post show. We got a little something special for you guys. We're going to be jumping over to YouTube to do a 20 minute follow up post show wrap up after these live streams. So I'll be sharing the link over there. If you guys have any questions for Kyle, drop them down in the main comments, not in the live chat because I can't keep up with it. But drop them in the main comments below. When we jump over to YouTube, we're going to be pulling up those questions, playing one video of the day, getting Kyle's commentary on. It's going to be a good time. So thank you guys. Yeah, and by all means, if you're going to do those things, um, you know, you got to come to rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin. You can always use our permanent link, which is rumble.com slash Kyle Serafin slash live. That will give you the current playing or the most recently streamed episodes. So you'll always be able to go there and find out what we're getting into. Steve, let's talk a little bit about vets. Are vets the threats? 
That's the question of the day. That's what I titled this thing. I think that's the meat and potatoes of what's going on. Uh, we had some friends send us two interesting studies. One was done by, what do they call here? The House Committee on Veteran Affairs, which is run by Mark Takano. Do you remember, did you watch uh, What is a Woman? With, yes. Uh, with, uh, what's his name, Matt Walsh? Matt Walsh. Do you remember when he sits down with the gay congressman in California? And, and, yeah. And the, and the interview? <laughs> Yep. And, and the, the aide is over his shoulder the whole time that he's like, you can see that he looks like a hostage. Yes. He's asking the aide to stop the video. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that's Mark Takano. I thought that was Ted Lou, And I, I give myself a little bit of a pass because I'm like, oh my God, did I just do the like all Asian guys look the same? They don't all look the same. These guys, one is Japanese origin. The other one is, I think, Chinese. But when you put them together, they both have like gray salt and pepper hair. They have very similar shaped faces and they're both lunatic leftists. I I, I was always confused because I kept seeing I knew that in my head that this Matt Walsh thing happened. And I was like, there's a gay congressman in California. I'm pretty sure that was Ted Lieu. That's what's in my brain. And then I'm reading about Ted Lieu and it's like, no, he's got kids and he's talking about some other stuff. But he's obviously, a, you know, huge pride advocate and some other stuff. So I'm, I, I didn't jive it. I literally learned it because of this, this hearing that they did on veterans, which is it's old news. It's from last year, actually. It's a, it's a year old now. Anyway. Yeah. Because he was not the majority leader anymore. That checks. That's why he's not on the, these things. Okay. So I'm going to read some choice pieces out of there. Ryan, um, give me one second here and we'll pull it up if you don't mind. Just kind of the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, what is it called? Oh, that's not what it's called. The, uh, the, the article is report on the importance of support for present preventing domestic violent extremism. Sorry, it's a mouthful. It's classic government nonsense. Um, they've got this picture of this kind of heavyset dude wearing a a floral shirt, which makes him a boogaloo boy based on my training and experience with the FBI. And this particular thing was published by the majority staff, the House Committee on Veteran Affairs. Like I said, um, Chairman Mark Takano, I'm going to read to you what they list, they listed on the main cover sheet. It says, any viewpoint when expressed through violence, crosses a dangerous line. Violent conduct is not constitutionally protected speech and is outside of the limits of the law. Ideologically motivated violence should be rejected by all of us in public office, regardless of party or politics, and it must be a bipartisan concern. Any chance in uh, in your experience anyone has ever been like, oh yeah, a political violence, I avow that sort of thing. Like That's what I'm behind. Is there any political party doing that right now, Steve? Uh, no. And similarly, I don't think anybody's saying, well, that violence wasn't ideological. So that's okay. That's acceptable. <laughs> this is, this is kind of like the guy saying water is wet and wet water also is in the ocean. And everybody in the ocean should know that the water is wet. We feel strongly about wet water in the ocean. Are you on my Me? team? Did, did Kamala Harris write this report? Ooh, yeah, that's a good tie back. Yes. Uh, she might've been involved in this. She is from California. I'm sure she has some good contacts with these people. Uh, Ryan, if you'll pull up the graphic that we have on there, I want to kind of bring up, there were two kind of graphics that were of, of value. And I think they say a lot. There's a, um, now it was a picture of like 314 people. You'll see it's just words in a little box. Uh, what it says is between 1990 and 2021, individuals with a military background killed 314 people and they injured 1,978. So, we're talking about uh, 314 people over a period of 31 years. How does that sit with you, Steve? Does that sound like that's the one of the biggest threats facing America right now? It's 10 a year and 20 people get struck by lightning and die a year. So I'm going to go with no. So this is almost as bad as half of the threat of lightning to the average person. Well, but I guess it checks because of the uh, 
devotion to the climate change that we're seeing. So to prevent 20 lightning strike deaths, we're going to throw trillions of dollars. So maybe we should just mobilize the entire government to prevent 10 wackos from uh, from carrying out an attack, which uh, this is we're taking on good faith that these were actually tied to domestic violent extremist beliefs, not just maybe somebody going through uh, post-traumatic stress or uh, just a nefarious actor who you know happened to have a military background. So here's the other fun piece of it. It says an average annual of uh, 6.9 individuals with a military background committed DVE crimes. These are made up terms in my experience, DVE, uh, between 1990 and 2010. So that's a 20 year period. And then at 2010, they mentioned there's an average of 28.7. So we have a multiple X increase for that last 12 years. Is there anything that happened around 2010 that we might notice, uh, like in the military that was going on? Do we ever have like a like a significant number of people come home from like big wars and maybe more veterans in, the, in this country or what? Yeah, we had a surge in the number of veterans. And uh, and we also had this thing called integrated program management become implemented by our FBI, where we saw the number of domestic terrorism cases quadruple. There it for is. For some reason. Yeah. And so Ryan pulled this graphic up for those of you who are watching our Rumble channel. You can actually see the numbers. I'm just going to kind of read some of them off here. 28.7 is the average individual, uh, average number of individuals with a military background. I guess they're saying veterans, but they don't want to say veterans because that's a that's a positive word uh, from 2010 to 2012. And then it says since 2015, approximately 10 percent of all domestic terrorist plots and attacks were uh, committed by veterans. Now they're going to use the word veterans. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people in the FBI have always turned on that 2015 date as sort of the time when the Bureau got stupid about this, when these uh, the IPM program really kicked off and started moving it. The last little fact on here that we're missing here is over 15% of those charged in the January 6, 2021 uh, attack on the U.S. Capitol had a military background. So 15% of those that have been charged in J6 stuff are veterans. So that's the pe- picture that they're painting. We can pull it back down. They're they're painting this this very fun picture. Military veterans are obviously the problem. And this was subject to one of my whistleblower drops, which was to say that they had basically picked up on the Punisher flag and the Betsy Ross flag and all these other sort of patriotic symbols that every veteran I know. What about cops? Every cop you know, they've got those things. Yeah, going it's, they, they all have the bumper sticker and every SWAT team has it as their patch. And 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 we just have to recognize the fact that law enforcement, military attracts people of more conservative bent. That's just the way it is. And the Venn diagram overlap there between military service and conservative worldview has quite a bit of overlap. And I mean, I think I was listening to the, the Martyr Made podcast and he made the comment that uh, America wouldn't have an infantry if there was no Appalachia. That's so true. Uh, well, yeah. and, and even even last night, Garrett uh, Garrett and I were talking on, on the, the Badlands show. And what he said was, is like, I've been a, a, a man of violence my whole adult life. He joined up at 18, like so many. I know, uh, you know, there's members of our chat right now that are talking about it. Uh, 18 years old, that's where the primary power range is for recruiting infantrymen from the Army and to the uh, to the Marine Corps. Now, some people go there and they get their college paid for, and I dealt with that when I was in the Air Force. That was like the number one reason why people joined the Air Force around me. But I'm sitting there going through basic training at 27. You don't join, well, maybe some people do, but I wasn't the kind of guy that joined up at 27 to go, oh, what I want to do is get college paid for. I'd already paid for my own college. And so I've got this, uh, you know, a bunch of kids that are like, yeah, I, I want to learn a skill. Like, I, I'd like to go to school and I'd like to get my degree. They get to you and they're like, they or me rather, and they go, well, you know, why did you join? And I'm, I was like, I was like, I came here to kill 
show bodies. You know, I want to put warheads on foreheads. <laughs> I was a, I was a <laughs> wide exactly eye. what they want, man. Yeah, it's an 18 year old man. who's angry uh, and just doesn't know why and doesn't know where to direct that rage. And uh, our military is like, hey, I got a target for you. Yeah, you want to join up? And, and I'll be wearing my uh, my my sorry, drill sergeant uniform. So you think dad's mad at you? Uh, and and I'm going to motivate you yep. and give you direction and give you purpose and that's that's why our military our military can't function and do its full you know not, not social experimentation but it can't break things and kill bad guys without these guys that are you know from Appalachia or Texas or, or Florida or Montana these guys who are just aggressive alpha males and those people tend to be conservative and that brings us back to this this report which is saying that vets military veterans are the problem here uh which i think is coded language we're saying the same thing that we keep seeing out of january 6th and and even the national security branch within the fbi now that violent domestic extremism dves are people who are anti-government well i mean we just celebrated a day where 56 guys signed a document that was anti-government that's right 100%. And I also will just do a little thing about uh, people that want to be anonymous on Twitter and take a tax on us. This guy was out there, uh, you know, saying, oh, the founders would have been really big on that. And I said, really? The, the founders who all signed their actual names to uh, to a document and then basically pre pledged their life and their liberty and their sacred honor to it. And uh, most of them died penniless and destroyed. They put everything on the line. They were living pretty good uh, and then signed their names to it. And, uh, and this guy came back to me and he said, obviously, you've never heard of the Federalist and the Anti-Federalist Papers. And I was like, oh, those are part of the Declaration of Independence. I didn't realize that. Like, I understand no. you, can, you can still have a political discussion while having an anonymous account. But if you want to be, a, you know, you want to be a coward and stay anonymous, then you're a coward. And if you want to get involved with me and you want to look me in the eye and say something to my name, I use my name in my face just like you uh, when we're out there on social media because uh, we believe what we stand for. So anyway, this is this is small, but it, but it was something I actually reflected on recently because I, I had this book out and uh, people have asked for signed copies mm -hmm. and I don't have an autograph. I'm not famous enough to have you know, got the scribble. So I, I actually write my name in cursive. My third grade teacher would be very impressed by my penmanship. Do you go like uh, above the line and below the line? where you're Oh, supposed yeah. To? With, a, with a nice little slant. I mean, it's very neat. And there's not it's not an autograph. It's it's a signature with cursive. And then I thought about I was like. Worked for John Hancock. That's right. She worked for me. And every guy who wrote his name on the document, they, there was no autograph. They wrote their name very clearly. Yes, it was because legible. they were putting their name on that document, and they knew what the consequences were. Well, it was before like having to sign like curved baseball and leather and stuff like that. <laughs> they were just signing parchment with a feather. I mean, it's probably easier to keep your hand moving correctly. So that's kind of funny. Uh, oh. But yeah, I don't think they're teaching cursive anymore, Steve. I don't. I think that's a dying art. No, I mean, well, my, my kids are in Christian school, so they did they did learn it. My uh, my third grader was very excited to learn it. He felt like he was learning a different language. That's exciting stuff. Uh, yeah. Let me let me just throw one weird uh, anecdote in there. When I was in second grade, I was learning cursive. I remember being part of that, and obviously, you get better at it as you go on. And I fell off the monkey bars, and I broke my right wrist. I'll always remember it. It was the summer of uh, my my eight year old summer. And it was the worst summer ever because everybody was going in the pool and I was a really good swimmer. And I had a really good breath hold. And at 4th of July, one of the things they did at this pool that we used to go to is they would take these, these jars full of coins and they would throw them all in the, the thing, half dollars and quarters and stuff like that. And, you know, a quarterback then would buy us like an ice cream, which was a pretty big deal. So we could actually buy ice cream at the little snack bar. So this was like a summer's worth of ice creams for me and my brothers. And that summer I had the cast on, so I couldn't go swim. 
And I was the ringer for my family. I had, you know, I've got five, there's five of us. I had three brothers uh, and I have an older brother as well. So there's four brothers. I was the ringer who could go in there and just hold my breath and go and pick up like, you know, like five bucks in coins. <laughs> and I couldn't do it because I, did, I had this like thing. And when I took off the, the cast, which I think we took off on the 4th of July, and then I was still really weak. And I'm trying to remember when it exactly was. My dad cut it off with like a hacksaw because that's the kind of family we were. We didn't wait to go to the ER where they have like the, you know, the saw to cut off all the plaster. So I got this wrist and the wrist was like the size of like maybe two of my fingers right now. It was like so small. It was so, so silly looking. It was just the bone of my tiny little arm. It was the worst. But um, I have no idea why I was telling you that. Cursive? <laughs> Oh, because because when I fell off the monkey bars, I get pulled into this into the uh, the handwriting class, and the first thing that I had to do with my broken wrist, which they didn't know was broken at the time, they pull me in. This is Mrs. Dykes from my second grade class. Has me sit down and start writing in cursive, and you can just imagine the torture of having a broken right hand when that's your that's your writing hand. Like I had a, a fracture, I think, on one of the two bones, and I'm in here and I'm like gripping this pencil and just like tears going down my face trying to write because I was a good student too. Like I had to do what I was told. And then they go and yeah. they x-ray it. Then I went home, totally unrelated, go home. My mom sends me out to go play. My mom's probably listening to this and she probably remembers very vaguely. She sends me to go out and play because I'm like, my arm hurts. And she was like, whatever, go out and play with your friends. So I go outside and some eighth grader, some big dude, threw a basketball right at my face. And of course, I blocked it with my bad arm, which probably didn't make it any better. So I got hit in a broken arm with this basketball full speed, um, you know. These are the things. Is that, that the I, same day that your uh, your ferret died? Could, could this could this come? Yeah, full this has circle? been like this has been kind of a therapy <laughs> session. I'm feeling way better. Thanks for coming on for being Friendly Friday. That makes me feel now I've gotten those off my chest. It's all good. Uh, uh, let's let's talk about something that actually does bring this sort of thing back because uh, you know you get corrective action. We've got this this document here. Thank God the Rand uh, Policy Institute or the Rand Corporation did an actual study not a politically motivated study like we just read talking about the vets are obviously so dangerous and highlighting it. And uh, there's a graphic, uh, if you see it, Ryan, that I put up there, it's got a bunch of circles and it's got a bunch of uh, percentages. If you can pop that sucker up on the side and I want to kind of share these things, the actual numbers on, uh, on the prevalence of veteran support for extremist groups and extremist beliefs. So um, this is uh, should be like graphic number two, I think, buddy. This is says support for that. It's going to tell us that the breakdown for different ideologies, and one of these ideologies is Antifa. The general population has about 10% support for Antifa. Veterans only have 5.5% support. So just keep track of the score right now. We have less support for Antifa in the veteran community. Uh, there is no general number for black nationalist ideology, but veterans are supporting it at a 5.3%. So we can imagine that based on the other ones. The white supremacist ideology, apparently 7% of our general population has a, a belief in white supremacy. I find that very hard to believe, but so be it. Um, whatever their sample set was, was racist, apparently. 0.08% uh, of veterans espouse white supremacist beliefs. So that's very, very small. Again, 9% uh, of the general population has a support for Proud Boys, and veterans only support the Proud Boys at 4.2%. So there's a couple of other things on here. When it comes to political violence, whether they agree with the, uh, the use of it, Generally or mostly, 19% of the general population, this is all sides of the coin, say that political violence is acceptable or something they think is okay. Uh, only 17.7, you know, people of actual violence, veterans believe that, so less again there. When you talk about um, QAnon and adherence to QAnon, 17% of the general population says that they have some interest in it, that they completely or mostly agree with the, with the information put out by there. Only 13.5% of veterans. And then lastly, the great replacement theory, which I think we've all kind of established is, is pretty legit. It's been, it's been stated by leftists, not right people. And, and then the, you know, it's like Republicans pounce kind of thing. 
Uh, 34% of the general population believes that there is some sort of a replacement going on of the U.S. population. Only 28.8. So again, smaller. Veterans turn out to be less extreme than uh, pretty much everything that goes on uh, in the in the general population. You have less less percentage uh, support for Antifa, for Proud Boys, for white supremacy, for political violence, for QAnon, and Great Replacement Theory done by the Rand Corporation. Does that surprise you even a little bit? No, I think it's consistent with, uh, I can't remember his name. There's a gentleman from Space Force who you had as a guest. Yeah, and uh, he, Matt Lohmeyer. Yeah, and he was talking about how you check your politics at the door and you're, you're mission-driven, and that's sort of the overarching prime directive when you're in the military. And I think that those people go through that experience, and then once they move out of the military, they, they sort of retain that default setting. And, and with all these polls, here's, here's the other thing. Have you taken a general poll uh, just in your personal life of people who pay attention to the extent that they know what all those organizations and, and terms even mean? No, but I majority of people love. have no idea. I, I'm supposed to be this you know outspoken political person now, and my wife would have no idea what replacement theory was. And I live and spend time with her every single day. So you can start She's texting a, with my wife. She'll be she'll be dialed in right away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a couple of us that have, you know, my wife is 100% following the same stuff. In fact, one of my favorite stories was I'm sitting on surveillance and my wife sends me a video from uh, Infowars and she was like, is Michelle Obama a man? Which made me die laughing because it's like, and then I watched the video and then I was like, oh man, um, mm, that's pretty weird. We had a, we, we talked about that with, uh, I think, uh, Frank earlier on uh, Monday. I'm going to read you kind of a quote here. This comes from, uh, it's attributed to an old retired army veteran, a uh, retired colonel. This is by uh, Colonel David Grossman who wrote On Killing. And it's one of the great sort of discussions about what I think our veteran community looks like. So he says, most people in our society are sheep. They're kind, they're gentle, productive creatures who can only hurt one another by accident. And this is true. You have to remember that the murder rate is roughly six per 100,000 per year and aggravated assault is only four per thousand per year. And what this means is that that vast majority of Americans are not inclined to hurt one another. Some estimates say that there are 2 million Americans victims of violent crime each year, a tragic and staggering number, perhaps an all-time record rate for violent crime, but there's almost 300 million Americans. And that means the odds of becoming a victim of violent crime is considerably less than 1 in 100 on any given year. And furthermore, since many violent crimes are committed by repeat offenders, the actual number of violence is considerably less than 2 million. Uh, and there's the paradox. What he says is, is there are wolves and there are the wolves feed on the sheep without mercy. Do you believe that there are wolves out there who will feed on the flock without mercy? You better believe it because there are evil men in this world and they're capable of evil deeds. I think that's what we're pointing out with this. And I think that's what the Rand Corporation discovered. It says the moment you forget that or pretend not to do that, uh, you become a sheep and there is no safety in your denial. But then there are sheepdogs. I live to protect the flock when I'm a sheepdog. I confront the wolf. And the reason why the sheepdog is, uh, is generally not accepted by polite society. And here's where it really gets into the meat of it. He says, the sheep generally do not like the sheepdog. He looks like a wolf. He has fangs and the capacity for violence. This is our veterans. These are our first responders that are willing to step into it. The difference, though, is that the sheepdog must not, cannot, and will not ever harm the sheep. Any sheepdog who intentionally harms the lowliest lamb will be punished and removed. The world cannot work any other way, at least not in a representative democracy or a republic such as ours. Um, today, our sheepdog doesn't have fangs. They have an AR-15. They have body armor. Um, they have a, a training set and a skill set that is honed either overseas in violence or, or locally while dealing with violence. But uh, our sheepdogs are the things that they are actually trying to get rid of 
and that seems to only benefit the wolf. They're mis they're misattributing. We talked about language on my last show and how they are always kind of framing these things in a certain way. You got guys like Daniel Penny on the on the subway, right? A sheepdog. He stepped into the gap. He saw there was a problem. He saw an erratic and dangerous person, and he used the tools that he had, his fangs, to stop a wolf. Even a wolf that's confused is a dangerous wolf. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that the last thing that, that Grossman was talking about there, uh, where the, the sheepdog can never turn on the flock, uh, it's evidenced by the fact that good cops hate bad cops. It, it's this this whole mythology of, oh, there's the thin blue line and, and the blue wall. We'll never, we won't rat out each other. No, we, if you are a problem within our ranks, we will oust you from our ranks. And if that involves you committing fraud or force against the flock that we are supposed to be protecting, then we have no need for you and then we'll eradicate you. So anytime that there's these uh, police involved shootings and uh, and most of them are just hyped beyond belief that are, they're, they're just, they're not accurate. But if there was, in effect, a, a bad shoot, that police officer will be uh, <laughs> be removed, and uh, you know, and there'll be a, a judicial process against him. It's not like we're going to rally to a bad shoot. We are. Uh, my wife and I are rewatching the um, Amazon series Bosch. Have you ever seen that? Love it. One of the great, one of the great police dramas that's ever been made, and, and they've made it obviously recently, and it's quite good. I think it's either the fourth or the fifth season that we're watching again right now. And it's the the story of this this attorney who's killed potentially by a cop, and and at one point, the uh, Harry Bosch, who's the the lead detective there, and he's the hero of the story, is interviewing the wife of the victim, and she says, you know, nothing's going to get done, um, you know, because it was done by cops, and that's who killed this attorney, because the attorney was famous for suing cops, and Harry Bosch says something that is almost exactly like what you just said, and it's a great line. He says, if that guy, you know, if if there was somebody that killed your husband and he worked for the police force, that's a killer, that's not a cop. And I'm going to find him. And just like you said, nobody is more offended by a dirty cop or someone who who plays outside the boundaries and abuses their privileges and their power than than really good police, than good cops, unless it's the FBI working on keeping their IPM and getting their bonuses. You want to just reflect on that for one moment, kind of the things that we've seen sort of the, that is the weaponization, I think, of our government. It's that's it's the failure to uphold that particular line. Yeah, and I think it's consistent with, you know, the makers of Bosch are the same guys. Uh, a lot of them are connected to The Wire. And there was the, the line we talked about on, mm -hmm. on Badlands where it's, you're not police. Yeah. That's so much of the FBI. They're not police. That It's a mindset. It's a, a way about you go about your business. And this IPM, Integrated Program Management, it's a quota system. It's about a decade old. It uh, is like a traffic cop with a ticket book. It's a number of cases they have to open, reports, Intel products they have to create, uh, arrests and tools they have to use, and it's tied to not only the uh, the budget that they go in front of Congress and say, look at all the great work we did with $10 billion, you should give us $11 billion. Uh, but the senior executive service members in all the field offices, when those uh, quotas are met, they get their bonuses, thirty dollars to $50,000 per year for doing that. And uh, that is not just a one-time payment because if those guys are at the tail end of their career. It's going to be tied to their their highest salary that is going to be attributable to their pension. So it's something the American taxpayer is on the hook for for the next several decades when that person is off in retirement. There was something that was said in front of uh, Congress when you were testifying, you and Garrett. And Garrett brought it up to me last night, so it's it's fresh in my mind right now. But they essentially tried to smear you as being anti-police. Can you can you draw that uh, delineation between being anti-police or being defund the Fed and how that kind of works out in your head? 
Yeah, I mean, I, th I think it's something that I've, I've kind of fallen back on and, and pointed out that I uh, I am not anti-law enforcement. I, I want to see it done effectively. And, and the way that I see police work to be done is to bring crime down. And the FBI is not doing that. The, the goal of the FBI is to manipulate the stats and to bring crime up and or at least generate that appearance. And I think that the the only way out, if you're in, if you're going to try to salvage the agency, which at this point I, I keep, uh, it's going to be hard hard lift, but uh, it's going to be to lean on the guys who actually, for their living, bring crime down, and that's at the local level. And those are the task force officers that actually do the lion's share of the work that uh, the FBI relies on when it goes in front of Congress and says, "Look how awesome we are." When it's in effect cases and, and arrests that were brought to them by local deputies and, and police officers. It is. Um, I promised that we would talk a little COVID memory hole. I had kind of a fresh wound because I went back and read some of these uh, documents that have been hanging out there. So, Ryan, if you'll bear with me, do you have the uh, the email that we have from Amy Billstone out of El Paso? It's uh, it's got some redactions on there. It uh, comes from her email to the uh, to the agents and the employees in that area. If you'll pull that sucker out, but I'll read from it right now, and I'm just going to get your reflection, Steve. Uh, this is the required requirement for negative test results. This was dated uh, 11 23 of 21. And it says, and this is the email that everybody in the FBI got, folks. So I'm, I'm, I'm sharing it with you because I want you to kind of see why like rip this open. It says, according to the MyMedLink report, you've been identified as someone who is not fully vaccinated against COVID-19. As outlined in the email that went out on November 19th, 2021, there are specific and certain protocols that must be followed for any employees that are not fully vaccinated. Um, it says you must wear a face covering at all times. So we need to, now we're going to be wearing, some people are thinking about getting a, a Jewish star on the face mask since they were the only ones that had to do it. Uh, you must main, maintain a six foot distance, and then you must upload a proof of negative COVID-19 test taken within the last 72 hours before duty. This was something that was a challenge. I know Steve did it every single day just to show it to them. And, uh, there's a second half of that email which was uh, you know, signed by this woman. I don't need to read all of it to you. It says that uh, employees tested under this policy are responsible for arranging their own tests and uh, required testing is considered official duty time. So you can do that uh, on the government's dime. But it also said employees who do not have proof of a negative COVID-19 test starting on November 24th, this is when I got kicked out of the office, are not allowed in the office and will be charged absent without leave until they have uploaded a negative COVID test. So that was kind of interesting. The fun thing is, is I have I have emails from the Phoenix division. I have emails from uh, the Los Angeles division, from the Kansas City division, and they all kind of say the same thing. The one that was the most poignant to me came out of uh, Phoenix, and it said, all, you're receiving this email because you have not uploaded your COVID-19 negative test into the MyMedLink portal within the last 72 hours, which is required by the DOJ mandate. Please don't shoot the messenger. And, you know, when we talk about people, and we can drop all those things off there, when we talk about people that do the right thing for the right reasons, this is exactly the opposite. This is the thing that's kind of a fresh wound again for me, even though this was two years ago. Um, please don't shoot the messenger. You feel good about that one? Is that is that the way that we do this? We just say it's not our fault? I'm following orders? Just following orders. History has always smiled very kindly on people that just follow orders. And I mean, that, that email, I'm sure, sounded... Uh, far better than the original German. Which you have a, like a translation in your head of what that sounded like? <laughs> it sounds very angry. It's got a lot of like, it sounds like they just, right. like, give, me all, yeah. you know, give me the warm and fuzzies. Very much like uh, learning about uh, culture and time and place. Yeah, very that's motivated. it. All right. I got Ryan in the background. Ryan, you want to kind of catch us up? What do we missed out on in the chat? I can only read so much when I'm going back and forth. Yeah, man, we have a we have a lot of people very active in the live chat. We want to give some shout outs to everybody. 
So I, Steve Reed, the hospitals are in, oh, sorry, I pulled that one down. He <laughs> says the hospitals are involved in domestic terrorism. Hospitals were the killing fields during COVID. I barely survived the ICU. Now I have no interest in going to the hospital. <laughs> Next up, we got FBI Panty Raid says, I guess entrapment isn't a legal defense anymore, especially when you're dead. True, true enough. <laughs> Kyle, love your show. You're so funny. Perhaps you should have been a comedian instead of an FBI agent. And that is Charlotte AG. And then we have TPH14 says, I think Hunter was treating himself to an expenses treats since his child support reduc reduced the 15K. Oh. And now he's pissed because <laughs> he forgot something important again and now stuck sober at the CD. <laughs> That's rough. Gypsy Princess says, pausing the dog walk to jump on the chat and say, hey, I'm loving this show. And then last but not least, we got Ground Zero says, Mega Mike America, graveyard again equals the United States will announce on Friday that it will send thousands of cluster uh, munitions to Ukraine. Yeah, I saw that. So uh, those of you who are track of the Ukraine situation, I don't know the right answer there. But what I do know is that they basically stated uh, initially five days in that the Russians were possibly using crust cluster munitions and that could be a possible war crime. Now, if uh, the good guys, quote unquote, uh, good guys are using it, if we give them to Ukraine, Cluster munitions are now very, very good. Once more, just that mastery of the language, the sort of the double speak that we get out of there. Um, awful stuff. But uh, we do appreciate all of you being out there in the live chat and adding to the show. It is a, a value to us. Steve, I want to thank you for jumping on. Uh, tell people where they can find your book real quick and tell me if you know anything about the sales. How's it going? Uh, sales are going well. I actually did a couple of book signings this week and got some more on the on the agenda for next week. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, I have a tweet pinned to the top of my profile uh, where you can get easy access to it. Book is called True Blue, My Journey from Beat Cop to Suspended FBI Whistleblower. Twitter account is at Real Steve Friend. Uh, True Social account is at Real underscore Steve Friend. And uh, just uh, sign those books away with a very legible cursive signature. <laughs> very good. Hey, thanks for joining me on Friendly Fridays. I, I enjoy kind of getting your take on things. It's a nice chance for us to catch up that we have scheduled on the on the books. And uh, folks, the link for the book is actually in the show notes. So you can go down there and pull that sucker up whenever you are ready. Uh, we'll say bye to Steve for now, but we'll see him again in a week. Thanks so much for being on there, buddy. Uh, I want to say thanks to Ryan Matta for producing this show. So Ryan, you see him there in the chat. He's been fantastic, and he's really helping bringing this thing to the next level. So those of you, if you're not following at Ryan Matta Media, please go ahead and bring him up on your uh, on your Twitter follows. You can find him at, at Ryan Matta on True Social. Go ahead and follow him up there. And uh, and then let's let's bring one of these five-star reviews because this is really what it's about. Folks, if you're hitting those like buttons and you're giving us those five-star reviews, then we can bring one of those suckers up. So here we go. Hey, don't forget to tell everybody about the uh, post show we got going on. Starts right after this, too. All right. So we'll be going over. And Steve's to... going to be joining us. Is he? That's fantastic. All right. So I'll say bye to Steve for just a few seconds then. Um, this is the uh, the five-star review of the day. It's coming from Herb179. And it says, one of my favorite podcasts. This podcast covers a lot of topics. It has a lot of inside information about the FBI and exposes the corruption within the agency. Kyle is very knowledgeable. Thank you so much. And passionate about guns. Also very true. And shares his experiences. I can't help it. Uh, but part of his, the best part of his shows are the guests like Steve Friend. There he is. Alpha Warrior and Ryan Matta, among my favorites. If there's something you're looking for that's different in a podcast, you need to check out Kyle Serafin. We appreciate that, Herb. We appreciate all of you who are watching and following us. If you're sitting in the live chat, give us a thumbs up on the Rumble channel, and uh, and that helps move us up a little bit. Uh, share it with your friends, and if you got questions, you can put them down in the comment section below the live chat. We'll address those things either during the show, if it makes sense, or we'll catch them on the next round. Uh, folks, we will see you again after the break.
break after the weekend, and I have a fantastic interview that we just did. You're going to little really, really like this one. It was one of my more interesting kind of guys to talk to. Another blue-collar reporter, a gentleman who writes for Gateway Pundit. His name is Sean uh, Witzman. Witzman? Not Weitzman. As Witzman. I initially. I know, Witzman. It's the, it's Witzman. The, we're doing the German. I know, it's a, it's a W. <laughs> anyway, I talked to Sean on Monday, so folks, tune in for that. We'll catch you there on the live show, and uh, we'll see you after a good weekend. Be safe, and talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Kyle Serafin Show, streamed live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays on rumble.com slash Serafin. Follow Kyle on Twitter and True Social at Kyle Serafin.